Good morning. I want to uh, just uh, do a little bit more of a promo for uh, pillars. Pillars really are what's built upon foundations. And there are partic four particular things that we consider really important that I feel that the Lord, that we feel that the Lord uh, is um, giving us as spiritual ingredients. One is moving in the spirit, right? Being able to have a familiarity with the Holy Spirit and to be able to have fellowship with Him, to be able to hear His voice. Second has to do with the Word of God, the Word of God in Scripture, understanding His Word, but also a heard Word of God, work, hearing the Word that the Lord has spoken to us. The third thing has to do with what we are doing in pillars, and that has to do with our witness in the, what we call the land. Uh, last, sun, last Sunday, I spoke at length, at length about it, so I'm not going to just um, prolong your pa uh, the <laughs> indulge, ask you to indulge your patience. My, my, my many words and your patience. Um, the whole idea is this, that God has given us His life so that it can be lived not just in church, but in the, what we call the land, where we find ourselves, our workplace, our neighborhoods, our relationships with one another. And God has called us to be witnesses in the land, to be able to, to by our life and by our, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, be a shining light so that people will know that there is a God who, lo who loves them. And God calls us to be fruitful, and we've been talking about this fruitful in, the, in, that, in this way, that in the land, not just in church, but in the land where we find ourselves most of the time outside of Sunday, God wants to shine forth and actually even bring people who, know, who are lost to Himself. It's inconceivable that the, when you look at the lostness of the world, it's inconceivable that the Lord has nothing for them through you and me. You know? He's put His hand upon your life, He's saved you, delivered you, and He's blessed you, and continues to want to do that so that others will be saved and be healed as well. So the, the big challenge for all of us as Christians is to be able to live our life in the ordinariness of, of, of our sur surroundings and do it in a fruitful way. If there's any going, to be, going to be any authentic spirituality, it has to be lived out in what we call the land, where we have common experiences with those who are non-Christian. Not living in a holy huddle behind stained glass windows, but outside. Yeah. Now, this is something that's hard for some Christians, and this is what we believe that is the foundation, actually. Any authenticity of, of, of the life of God in us must be lived out in terms that the world can begin to experience blessing in. And so, Pillars is about that. At the same time, while we're doing Pillars, during that Pillars, you'll have a chance, if you've never been in a small group or you've not, never had a chance to fellowship or get to know uh, VCFers, you'll, you'll get a chance to be involved in that as well. And Pillars will go for about seven, seven weeks, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, for, for that, that amount of time. And we will focus on Things like questions people will ask. What, what, what does God do in our lives? How does He get us ready to be able to shine for Him and to bring people to Christ in the, in the, in the, in the world? We'll talk about other religions. We'll talk about other uh, faith traditions. We'll talk about other question, questions. And we'll also talk about how we can begin to water seed, seeds so that there can be harvest that way. And uh, I know that some, sometimes as Christians, we can spend donkey's years in the church 
and never see its relevance in the outside world. But I believe that God has, for, has more for us. Amen? If you never brought any person to the Lord, this is good for you. Yeah? If you brought many people to the Lord, it's still good for you. Yeah? It's going to be good for me too. So pillars is, is part of what we are doing in a practical way, in a, in a, in a way that involves community, that we can support one another, pray for one another, pray for each other's land, and uh, come together in, and, uh, and see God actually work. Yeah? What he does this year, who knows? But you have to give it a shot. Yeah. So if you, feel, if, if, you, if, you are, if you are interested, please come for that. It's Tuesday nights. Pillars will always be on Tuesdays. And then after that series, we will, we will finish the series in time for Easter. During Easter, you will have a chance perhaps to pray and uh, invite people to come who have never heard the gospel, who have, who have needs. One of the things we will focus on uh, when we talk about pillars is why is Jesus the answer? Why is Jesus, is Jesus the answer for every longing, every need that, that, that exists? And in what way can that be, be ministered to? Yeah, in a practical way. The small groups will work on, work on things. Yeah? Sometimes a lot of the discussion in small groups will have nothing to do with the, the teaching that goes on at first. Yeah? But it will be a chance for us to actually be praying and engaging in problems as well as things that we face in the land as well. So I'm very excited about this. I hope that everybody can come. It'll be like fall conference. Yeah, a sort of a, a mini fall conference for all of us. But what will happen is that the, a side benefit will, will be hopefully that we will get to know one another and be in each other's lives in a way that is uh, fruitful and um, rich. Sundays, on Sunday, Sunday mornings, the preaching will, I think, follow the theme of fruitfulness this year that God has for us. So there'll be preaching on Sunday. There'll be practical kind of outworking and perhaps teaching and community on Tuesdays, right? And during the weekdays, we will engage in the practical work of praying for our land, praying for revival and all that. And so um, as far as we see, this is a move that God has, is, is bringing about through the year. And I want to invite you to really join us as, pos as far as possible. Yeah, and make it a priority in your life. Amen? Amen. So that's pillars. All right, let's pray and we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for this chance to be co-mingled with what you are doing that is beautiful and that is redemptive. That you do not want us to see things from the outside and observe only, but to be part of what you are doing be into you, Lord. And so we ask you that even now you will quiet in, quieten every one of our hearts and bring us into your word, bring us into your presence. We thank you that we don't just have to listen to a talk, but we can be in your presence. So come, Lord. Even before a word is spoken from this pulpit, we ask you that you would move in our heart. It's you that we want. So we give this time to completely attending to you. 
Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week, we spoke about the travail in Isaiah chapter 54 uh, and how the travail points to who we are, who we, what's really, what really matters to us, yeah? and who God has called us to be. I'd like to continue from this, in this theme of fruitfulness. And if you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 51, we'll look at something about who God has called us to be. Isaiah chapter 51, we'll read it from verse 1. All right? And I'll be reading from the ESV. Thank you. Verse 1. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you are dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. There's that travail again. Right? Something that really matters. So he's saying, I'm telling you who you are. This is the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you've been digged, right? You've been dug. And so he says, look to Abraham, Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain, for he was but one, just one, solitary. And I, when he was one, but one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. And I believe this is something that is a threefold, uh, very simple threefold uh, basis for our identity. We are called by the Lord, we are blessed by the Lord, and we are multiplied by the Lord. It's so simple. God, we are called by Him, we have a name, he, we mean something to Him, He is in relationship with us, He defines us, He gives us an identity, He gives us a name, He blesses us, And he multiplies us. That is a summation of what it is to be a Christian. God calls us, he blesses us, then he multiplies us. Yeah? Some people are called, they only want to be blessed, and then they never get multiplied. Some people, they are called, they want to multiply themselves, but they don't know what they're multiplying. He calls us, he blesses us. When God says, uses the word Bless, a baraka. Yeah? Later on, he says, in you, he says to Abraham, in you, all the nations of the earth will be baraka. Yeah? Um, we'll be blessed. He doesn't mean the word that we sometimes use, bless, as some kind of, kind of light, perfunctory, kind of meaningless word. You know, sometimes we say, bless you or whatever. And we don't, know, we don't necessarily know what we mean. But when God uses the word barak or baraka, He actually means by blessing something heavy, weighty, powerful, precious that comes only from heaven. So the blessing that God's speaking about is not something in which we bless each other out of what we have, or what we produce, but it's something in which the wind of blessing comes. It is also a word that literally means you kneel down. Yeah? To, be, to bless is to cause to kneel down, where 
something is imparted of the Holy Spirit. So when later we will look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, when God says, in you all the nations will be blessed, he doesn't mean by, Abraham to, by, by, by saying to Abraham, well, you're just going to be a blessing. You know how sometimes we lightly say, he's such a blessing. We don't know what we mean. It makes me feel good, you know. He's a blessing. It makes me feel good. Yeah, that may be part of it. But blessing has to do with something of God that breaks in, changes our lives. It has to do with salvation. It has to do with true justice. It has to do with the work of God coming, breaking in. Yeah? And, and pressing in upon us. So when God says, He call you, our life will be blessed, that He means that it will be penetrated by the things of heaven, things of God yeah, in our life. And, and it is this penetration, this supernatural life, that He wants to multiply. Evangelism is quite empty, meaningless, when you try to multiply nothing. And I suppose that's why the vast majority of, um, of uh, American evangelical Christianity is not really concerned about those who are lost. I think it's because many Christians are also lost or feel lost. I don't know what I'm going to multiply. I don't know what I have to give to people that is so compelling, that has so changed me, that so transformed me, that has made, made me excited about God that I want everybody to have it. I know what it means. When I was an evangelical Christian just growing up uh, during my teens, I knew that I didn't want people to go to hell. I knew that. But I didn't feel that in myself I had really anything to give to people. I couldn't say, I want you to have what I have. And if somebody had asked me, what is it you have? Uh, I think I'm going to heaven. So because of that, evangelism or sharing the gospel or letting people know about what exciting stuff God has done for me was not that compelling to me. It was very hard. But I felt that I should do it. So I just did it out of duty. You know? And I don't know whether people are, any, anyone who's here, if you've never brought someone to Christ, I want to ask you to just think about it, okay? Because, uh, because this is not a condemnation. It is the fact that Jesus has it for you and me. At some point. If it's not today, maybe tomorrow. If it's not tomorrow, some point. I call him alone. You're one. I blessed him. Something real happens to you that cannot be explained in natural terms. And that quantity of, that quantum of sheer divine quality is multiplied to other people. I want you to have what I have. Then I was filled with the Holy Spirit one day after years and years, 20 years of dryness, complete dryness. Suddenly God became real to me and I couldn't stop myself from sharing with people about what God had done, how God had transformed my parents, how God had healed my dad of, of, of diabetes, how, how he had just turned me upside down and given me a heart for, for him from before, from, uh, as opposed to before where all my Christianity was just only intellectual. Oh, 
I couldn't stop myself. So when God calls us, He calls us like Abraham. What He's saying in Isaiah 51 is, look to Abraham, that's the rock. He is the, he's the substance, He's the genre of human being that you are part of. I call him. And if I call Abraham, I'll call you. I call you right now. And if, you, if I call you, I will give you an identity. I'll give you a calling. We don't have a calling. We don't have an identity. We don't have a name. And so we will talk about how God begins to do that. And God is doing that as, as he, he calls us as a body this year. Look to Abraham, verse 2, your father, and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one, I called him. Woo. And I blessed him and multiplied him. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort her waste places. And her wilderness shall be like her Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Praise God. You may be having waste places in your life. And you've begun uh, 2023, I think this is the year, 2023, and you feel that your, your land is a waste place. It's been wasted or nothing's happening. I feel that God is, yes, there's a word for you today. I'm going to comfort. When you, think, when you use the word comfort, nacham means he breathed his spirit upon you. He's going to breathe life upon waste places. If you have waste places, God is going to breathe upon you. And at the end of the year, you would not have been able to dream what he would have done this year. Turn with me then to Genesis, and we'll talk about how God began to do that. And we'll, we'll go a few weeks uh, allowing the Holy Spirit, perhaps, to open up and show us how he opens up this fruitfulness, gives us a name, calls us. Genesis chapter 12, we'll read it from verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. Notice the word from many times. Yeah. To the land which I will show you. So he didn't tell Abraham where he's going. Didn't tell him what the plan was. He says, go from didn't say go to, he said go from. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you will be a blessing. There's that word baraka. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that's baraka again. Okay? So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Let's just stop here a little bit. It's funny how when God wants to begin a work in us, he calls us and separates us unto himself. And he calls us from. Calls us from. Not calls us to. We all want to know where his to is. 
But calling us from means to actually bring us out of all the entanglements that we have, that have given us a false name, that have made us bend and stretch out towards the wrong things that are not us, that has made us not ourselves. He calls us from those so that He can make us who He wants us to be. When a calling comes from God, God calls us and He gives us a purpose. He gives us a meaning for our, our, our name. He tells us what we are about. We can't generate it from ourselves. We may like certain things, but those don't make us have an identity. When God says, call, I'll call you, uh, in Isaiah 51, he says, he called us, right? Call Abraham. He calls us from something. And the first thing he does is that he begins to isolate us and separate us unto himself. That's the most important thing that has to happen, right? He can't call someone who is not a person. He calls us and he gives us personhood. Amen? He gives us personhood. And he gives us a name. It may be just in a seed form. We may not have achieved anything. We have not manifested anything of what God says about us. But he starts by calling us from. So it's very interesting. You see, when, when God called Abraham, he didn't tell Abraham where, you're, where he was going. Abraham was actually uh, from the Ur of the Chaldees, which is uh, more, uh, more on, the, on the eastern side. Uh, and... and uh, and he went with Terah, his father, and, and lived in Syria. So he went up Fertile Crescent uh, westwards. And then from, from Syria, he called Abraham and called him as out from his family with Sarah and into a land that he would show him. It's really interesting that the beginning of our journey doesn't start with us knowing where we're going. But what's more crucial, actually, than knowing where we're going is Knowing where we come from. Knowing where we've come from and who we are brought out to. Okay? That's really important. Because we don't know who we are. There's no point going where we want to go. So God, God called Abram. Now, I'm really excited about one thing. And I'm going to jump a little bit because I feel the Lord speaking something in, in this. It says in verse um, verse 4, Now Abram was 75 years old when he start, departed from Haran. He was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. How many of you are 75 years old? That means you're, you're young. You're young compared with Abraham. Life for Abraham began at 75. Hey, that's great, isn't it? Life hasn't even begun for me. I'm kind of still in the womb right now. I'm a, a young spring chicken of 65 years old. Here's the deal. When God calls you, life begins again. Doesn't matter what your, uh, your antecedents or what, what came before that. He starts you fresh. He calls you from that. You may have had many failures, many frustrations. You may have lost a lot. You may have, may have, may have experienced much loss. But when He calls you from, He separates you from that. 
You're not excited. Do you know what this means? This means that at 75, the best was yet to come. You think at 75, your, your, your life is finished and you're exhausted? Right? No, no, you haven't even started. Some of you, at 45, you think you're dead. You're dead. You haven't even started starting. You haven't even begun. God, is, God has, has, has much more in front of you. And so when, when we say that Abraham was 75, even the Bible that has all these big ages for people, like this person was 90, 900 when they died, 450 when they died, all that. Even the Bible calls Abraham old. Even Abraham called himself old. I'm advanced in age and so is my wife advanced in age. Okay? Hokusai. Let's have a look at it. Like this famous print of his. You know, remember, you recognize this? Hokusai. He was 70 years old when he did 36 prints. Okay? He used a very innovative color, indigo blue. Got it from the West. And he, he, and this picture you see everywhere. Everywhere you, you go, you see these, at least prints of prints of uh, Hokusai. Hokusai said that his best work will come after a hundred. Isn't that amazing? I love Hokusai. He died actually at the age of 92. But his best work, he says, came from age 70 onwards, and he was looking forward to better work and after he was 100. Now, you may be 75 and may, you may die at 76, but your best years will still be that one year between 75 and 76. Your best is yet to come. Even if your best is one year, you're not fading out. You're not fading out. I see some of us who are really young and you're already fading out. But God says, you are not fading out. In Romans, as well as in Hebrews, God says that Abraham hoped against hope. And when he hoped against hope, that hope by the Spirit gave him strength to procreate, to multiply. He had never multiplied before. He had never procreated before. Didn't have it. Just didn't have it. But at 75, God called him and promised him and put a seed, a supernatural seed in him. And he began to live from that. That from separated him from everything that happened in, in, the, in the past. He, he was not bringing the resume of his past miserable achievements into the future. He was not saying, hey, I'm still good, you know. I'm still good. I've got these skills. I've got these abilities. I'm worth something. No, he says, I'm going to go from that place. Starting point was when God called him. Amen? Starting point is not our achievements, what school we went to, and whatever, all that, what race we are, or, or what, what, what kind of proclivities we have, what our gifts are. Starting point is not that. Starting point is when God calls you. Before He calls you, you don't have a name. You can call yourself whatever you want, but unless God calls you, unless infinity from outside of the universe gives you an integration point, gives you a meaning, you have not started yet. So don't start trying to defend your resume. Because that re resume is not worth it yet. One day it may, be, it may be worth something, but not yet. Unless you have a call from God, 
you're living to succeed but have no meaning. Some people say, I don't know what my meaning is, I don't know what my identity is, I just want to succeed. Suddenly in doing what? It's, there's no meaning in it. Nothing has meaning unless it has an infinite personal integration point outside of the universe from God. And so, when God wants to make us fruitful, He doesn't just want to make us successful in whatever we're doing, tiddlywings, the world-class champion in tiddlywings, or stamp collecting. No. He wants to give us a name so that the substance connected with God has purpose and has longevity. So when God called Abraham, the most important thing was not where he was going. He could have gone to Timbuktu. It didn't matter. He could have got lost. But he was, if he was called from, he had meaning. You may be in the middle of a God-forsaken desert. But if God has called you from everything that attaches itself and gives you a false name, and you are willing to separate out unto God, then you have begun. And without meaning to sound trivial, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We don't know how long we have to live. A young person may die earlier than an older person. When I got cancer, I had to, I had to face the, the awful possibility that I may, have, may, I may die earlier than my 90-year-old mother. But the best is yet to come. Amen? Whether it's long or short, the best is yet to come. But I'm praying that God will extend all our lives. Yeah? He said, verse 3, I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth. I love that phrase, went forth. That means went from that place forward. Didn't go backwards. He went forth from that. That cutting off point, that starting point is something that I sense that many of us need today. There are things that happened before that may push you down or pull you down that you may even take on as your identity. Traumas, disappointments, mistakes, sins, things that you're embarrassed about. In Christ, what Christ did is that when he came, took upon himself, assumed upon himself, all our sins and grief, our darkness, our, our evil nature, he took it upon himself. The Bible says that he came in the likeness, not of a pristine body, not a body that was sin, sinless, but it is, it, he, he, he took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh. Do you know what that means? He didn't take some neutral body. He took our body. He did not take some neutral person that had not sinned. He took your sin and my sin. Your sin and your past was put, put upon him so much so that he took it upon himself and took it from you. Amen? Only the power of God can separate you and me from our past. Only the power of God can heal us from the scars that remain even after the trauma has been finished. Only God can do that. 
and only the incarnation where Christ took upon Himself not a neutral body, but your body. Your body of sin, your past and my past. That's astounding. He didn't just take it upon Himself on the cross. He took it through His whole life, waking and sleeping. He did that. So that you can say, I can go from. Or else you don't get a free pass. If Christ didn't do that, you don't get a free pass. You don't get a free pass just because God said, I forgive you. He didn't just forgive you by fiat, by saying, okay, I'm God, you're not, but I can do it, you're free. He did, he did it by taking upon your, upon himself, your sin and my sin upon himself. Not only the sins of your past, but your future as well. Only an eternal, infinite God can do that. That's why Christ died an infinite death for us. Does that make sense? Hello? The amazing thing is that Christ didn't just die a death in which he carried the sins of those kind of the sins that men, men, men and women ex- experience, so that he had something that is similar to that. So that he can it's we don't believe as Christians that Christ says, I know what you experience because I will experience something similar to that. He didn't experience something similar to that. He experienced that. That which your sin, my sin, he experienced that. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. And so because of that, we can say with Jesus, I can go from, I can go forth from. Amen? I believe that you and I are on a path in which God is going to not only call, has already, not has already called you, but He will bless you and me and multiply us. That is the trajectory. A very simple trajectory for all of us. Let's join Abraham on that trajectory, okay? So immediately after God called him, he went. And so he entered into this place that God had called him. Verse 6, it says, He went into Canaan, and Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oaks of Moreh. And then it says, Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Canaanites were part of what we call the Amorites. It's a, a, a large collective term that includes the, 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 a whole bunch of tribes, including the Canaanites. The Canaanite was then in the land. And Abraham, as he, Abram at that time, as he passed through that land, he would have noticed the, the Canaanites. He probably would have noticed the evil that they had done, their infant sacrifice. It was said um, that that it would fill up to the heavens. Being an outsider, not very empowered.
familiar place and he's not feeling that safe, probably. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to you, to your descendants, I will give this land. Imagine being told that when you're seeing the Canaanites. To you and your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he proceeded from there from the mountain to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, continuing towards the Negev. Now he didn't know where he was going. And sometimes God works that way. He doesn't tell us where we're going. But the qualitative aspect of being separated unto him is most important. You may not know where you're going. You may not know what this year will, will, will portend for you has in store for you. But God has called you. As long as you are in your in your your clueless manner, I say, God, I I'm 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 one with you. You may not know where you're going. You may not know where you're going. It is very possible that you may feel like turning back. Entering into the promises, the inheritance, and the fruitfulness of God has a lot to do with how we face the Canaanites, those unsafe places. Many people have been given a promise, but it's not come to fruition. And it has a lot to do with what we do when we are afraid. Because when God wants to do mighty miracles in our lives, He brings us to places where we will need a miracle. And I have found in my life that I can get really excited about promises and words that God gives me in my devotions. But when I face unsafe things, there's a part of me that wants so much, longs so much for safety. I may want to go for safety at any price, at any cost, at any consequence, as long as I can be safe. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and we were talking about how Sometimes when we have had trauma, especially when we are kids, and we've experienced a terrible experience in which we've had consequences upon us, we don't know why, but whenever we face anything that looks like unsafe stuff, we try really hard to find a safe place. Do you find that you're like that? There is in human beings this longing for safety. We think and think and think and calculate and calculate and calculate and we overthink so many things because we want to find this place in which our thinking will bring us to a place where we think everything is going to be alright. In a crisis, somebody is actually going to do something to you or you have a health issue with which you are ready to share. And think
I want to think myself into safety. Think myself into a conclusion that I don't have to be anxious. That is of God. It's a safety that comes from the fact that we believe that after thinking through and researching and googling and googling and googling, we have found that actually things are okay. Things are not going to be to be anything to be concerned about. We want that because when we get to that point in which we have come to the conclusion, whether from our thinking or our research or talking to people or researching things. We have found that we can be fine, we are safe, we don't need God. We are safe because it is safe. We're not safe because God is protecting us. We are safe because of the safety of the situation. Does that make sense? You're looking at me funny. I want to address that because when Abraham is brought to the places of promise, the promises are predicated upon us facing some enemy, some threatening place, some place in which we are not secure. If you are believing God for some promise, but you're not prepared to face that thing and find that God is your shelter, your high tower, your protection, and He can put that safety in you, you will never find those, those, those promises fulfilled. I can, Cindy can tell me the amount of time that I researched prostate cancer, PSA, and all that on Google just to try to find a, a sense in which it's going to be okay. And she told me, that's not safety. Safety does not lie in the fact that you're in a safe place and there's no possibility of things not going well. God wants you to come to that place and face the Canaanites, whatever it is, yeah? And find that in that Canaanite, you build an altar and God speaks to you. Now, it says here, Abraham saw the Canaanite was there, and he built an altar to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him the promises, because those promises countered what the Canaanites were saying to Abraham. Does it make sense? Now, in Exodus chapter 27, verse 8, it says, when you make an altar before the Lord, you must make the altar not of solid wood, but of boards, so that it will be hollow. Your altar must be hollow. It must not be filled with wood. It has to be hollow, so that you understand the emptiness of your situation, the emptiness of your resources, so that only God will fill the altar. Does that make sense? Yeah? That's really important. Exodus chapter 27, verse, verse, verse 8. When you come and build an altar, you make it of boards so that it will, will be hollow. So that when God comes to speak to you, He will speak to you not when you are filled with a certain amount of assurance that I think actually things are going to be okay and all that. I need God, at least one third, one third factor of God in there. The rest, we are fine. Now, I realize that it's much easier for me to do my research and my thinking and do whatever I can 
and to avoid whatever I need to avoid so that the situation will be safe and miss out on trusting God. Now, trusting God is an actual, actual, active thing where I have to press into the uncertainty and keep on asking God, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Are you going to come through for me? Trust happens only when I put my weight upon the seat and the seat puts an upthrust against my bum. Does that make sense? Trust only is experienced when I feel the push up of the chair that I'm trying to sit on. Until that happens, I'm not trusted. I'll be just like, I'm not rested on it. Correct? You. Trust happens only when you actually rest on the chair. You trust the chair, you rest on the chair. If you do this and not rest on the chair, you haven't trusted yet. You may have all kinds of ideas, or positive ideas about the chair and have done all the research about the chair and know that the chair, the chair, the molecular structure of the chair is good enough to be able to survive, whatever. But unless you put your, 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 your behind on it and experience it pushing back on you, you haven't made contact with trust. But the moment you put your, your weight upon the chair, you take your weight off your legs. You entrust yourself to the chair. And I realized in my own life that in my longing for safety, what God wants to do is to cause me to experience the pushback of His, his rest, restfulness, the pushback of His reliability, to actually feel His reliability back. Until I, I feel it, I'll still be on my legs and thinking, yes, 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 I can trust God. God is reliable. That's what the Bible says. But I will not know it. I will not feel it. Not feel it back, back on me. Does that make sense? And so what Abraham comes, comes to is the promised land, full of promises, but full of enemies. The enemy is the means by which promises will be fulfilled. The impossibilities are the means by, by which miracles actually are authenticated. If you don't experience that, you will not experience miracles. You can talk about miracles and, and, and sing about it, but it doesn't actually happen until you actually rest upon, upon God and find that He does He does come back. Unless you were like me when I was a kid and we played tricks on one another, I was going to sit down at my desk and my friend pulled the, 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 the chair away from me. And, uh, and I'm sure you've experienced that, right? Or does it not happen in America? It does, huh? Yeah, okay. I was none the worse, but it made me wonder about this trusting business. Yeah? So there's a way in which, in experiencing fruitfulness, unless we confront the situations like that, in which we need God to come through, God may be theoretically everything we say about Him, but it's not real to us. And so we don't find the safety, that different kind of safety, that comes not from the fact that, that, that the situation is safe, but because of the fact that in spite of what the situation is, God is very, very 
Amen. And I found that for my own life, and I don't know why I learned it so late. The Lord has been bringing me time and time and time again for the past few years to places in which I see the tendency in myself to quickly try to find, long for safety. Places that are safe, they're absolutely safe. Absolutely safe because of their situation because of the situationality of it, not because of God. Now, here's the thing. I don't know whether you realize, but during worship, the worship leader stepped out based upon what he heard. And when he stepped out, he was believing that what he heard was reliable. And that what God was speaking to him was reliable. But he would never have known if he didn't step out on it. He would have been hearing all the things that I and other people are saying about how we have to be bold and bold and courageous. But you notice during the worship, he talked about courage. And the Lord was speaking to us about courage and strength. And at some point, the worship leader had to do, step out and to see whether it's really true or not. Until that happened, everything was theoretic and hypothetical, filled with, filled with words and words and words. And this is something that God wants for all of us. Okay? He has many great promises for all of us, but there are many people who have not experienced it. And so, how do you? Does that mean we've got to sort of take a risk and just jump out? No. It says here, Abraham, perhaps in his anxiety, made an altar to the Lord. And God spoke to him. I used to think that safety only comes when the situation is safe. I've realized that the situation being safe is not what I should look for. I should look for God's assurance of his safety. Because God's assurance of safety is forever. And what God wants to do is to cause me to be able to hear His voice so much so that in the place where I'm hollow, I'm empty in the altar, He fills that up with supernatural words. Words from Him. With His speaking. Yeah? And that's what happens. Now, chapter 13. I'm going to be really, really quickly rushing through this. There's a famine in the land. And in the famine, um, Abram did what most people would do, go to Egypt. Egypt was the breadbasket of the world, right? So he went to Egypt with Sarah and with his, his entourage. And as he comes to Sarah, with Sarah, he's going from one unsafe place to another unsafe place, right? In chapter 13, sorry, chapter, chapter 12, verse 10 onwards. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about that when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. See, his research is going on. He's Googling, Googling, Googling all over the place. 
Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. If Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And therefore he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. So Abraham got some kind of blessing. I mean blessing in that other sense, right? Not in the Baraka sense. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? so that I took her for my wife. So you see what Pharaoh had done. Pharaoh had sent some people out to the, to, 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 to the land and, and they had found, these are the talent scouts, right? Who are trying to find wives for Pharaoh and Pharaoh just took her. And Abraham said, go for it. She's my sister. By doing that, he... He distorted his identity and gave himself a name that was a false name and lost his calling by doing that. He lost, almost lost his wife and he almost lost his calling. But you can understand why he did that because it says here, now then, um, I'm, 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 I'm going to go on verse 19 again. Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Get out of here. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning the, him, and they escorted him away and his wife and all that belonged to him. You can imagine why Abraham did that, because he felt unsafe. And so what he was doing is was strategizing, because he was looking for a safe place. What shall I do? We, we, if we, are, we don't come to Egypt, we're going to starve to death. But we have to come to Egypt. But when we come to Egypt, everybody will see how Sarah is beautiful, even though she's advanced in years. See, the, the, the power of God was already working in her. In her. The best was still yet to come. <laughs> and, 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 and so Abraham's thinking, what shall I do? What shall I do? And, and again, his nose is looking for the safe place, right? Looking for the safe place. He's thinking and thinking and thinking. He's strategizing. I know. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to say to everybody, and Sarah's going to say to everybody, he's my brother. And who knows? There may be some benefits from that. And so he lost his name. He lost his identity. He lost, for a moment, the possibility of being fulfill, fulfilling the promise of God. Almost lost his wife. Because he's looking for a safe place. He didn't realize that God was more reliable than the safe place that he was looking for. Because God judged Pharaoh and his household. God came upon him. Now, some of us have never experienced that because we've not trusted him. We've not stepped out yet. We've not stepped out. So what we are talking about, you don't know what it's, it's you've not experienced it. But God wants that for you and me. He wants that for, you, for us financially. He wants that for us in terms of our time. When we give Him our time, 
we find that God actually does that. I found that when I was in, uh, a student, uh, there was so much ministry that was going on that, well, that I had constantly had to, I constantly had to, to decide, am I going to study or I'm going to do with this ministry? But there was more and more people coming to the Lord, more and more people having needs, more and more needing, needing to be delivered from demons and all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking, how am I going to study? And each time I'll have to make my altar, come hollow to God and say, hello, I'm hollow. I can't do it. I'm not smart enough to study all this within the, the, the one and a half or two hours. And I will wait upon him until something of trust stops him. Peace is not the absence of trepidation. Peace is the pos positive presence of something, of someone who enters in. He has mass. He has body. He has substance. Does that make sense? Peace is not the absence of non-peace. It's not the absence of, of fear. Peace is the presence of something that's more dense than the fear. And I found that when I was diagnosed with cancer, I had no idea whether I was going to get worse or going to get better. But I knew that if I come into the presence of God, He will speak to me in such a way that when He speaks, it's not just a word, it will have substance, it will have body, it will have peace. Amen? That kind of blessing is something that you and I have to have because you can only be a witness on the strength of that. You can only be a person who can shine through on the strength of something that has happened to you. And so you and I are called to experience the promises of God, but I am not for a moment under any illusion that it's going to be easy. I'm not under any illusion that it's going to come passively just because God is going to fulfill His word and all that. No, He calls me, walk before me and be thou perfect, He says to Abraham, and I will do this. You have to walk it. So today, as we look over the, the, the rest of the year, we are faced with a challenge, a tremendous promise that God has for us. I will multiply you. I'll bless you and multiply you. I'll bring you to those places where multiplication can happen and blessing can happen. And those places cannot be places in which you and I squirrel off to look for a safe place, but we face it. Do all the research that you need. I will continue doing research for all the things that are unsafe. Do it. But your trust is not in that. What God has for you and me is something that He will place in our heart and it's resistance to fear. He has resistance. You can experience it. Whenever you come to places in which you're afraid, don't just start resisting with your, your will. Come to God. Be hollow. That is empty. God will fill it. Amen? Let us pray. Bless your name, Lord. Come before you as a people of promise. Thank you for 
the fact that you have given us the possibility of a life that can be fruitful and miraculous over and over again. We thank you, Lord, that you are completely safe, that you are working all things together for good to them that love you, call according to your purpose. Thank you, Lord. We confess no identity other than your calling for us. And so, for those of you who say, I need to start now, start again. Is it possible for me, with all my past, to begin afresh and respond to God's call? And go from from here, from my past, not looking back, but turning to Him, moving forward, even though I don't know where I'm going. The business of the day, that's a priority, even more than just succeeding in whatever you do has to do with the fact that God wants to call us and make us. He said to the disciples, follow me and I will make you. We welcome you. I invite you to open your hands to the Lord. Surrender your life to Him. Again. God's been speaking to you, invite him into the places where you long for certainty, for stability, for safety. You seek me, you'll find. You'll find that solid rock. Not as an intellectual thing, but you'll feel that rock sinking, pushing again. Pushing against your fears. Something solid. Come, Holy Spirit. Just sense that the Lord is hearing to allow us to experience taking the weight off our own legs for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right now, wherever we are, there may be couples also that have been through something like this and have not known how to sit down together with God and find that not only can they take off the weight off their own legs, but God knows how to put everything back together again, put marriages back, put relationship with Him back in that place. So just sense right now. This is a chance to sit with that problem, knowing whatever that problem is, it's there. We're just going to sit, Lord, here with you, and we worship you. We put that problem down. We put the problem down, and we sit right now with you on your lap, God. Amen. Welcoming you to carry not just the problem, but us too. Yes. Carry all of 
the traumas we all have been through, all of the questions we have, just carry it all, Lord God, until we're not carrying it anymore, Lord Jesus. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Commit ourselves to you, Jesus. Amen.